Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. Hey, what's going on, guys? So this is the fourth and final part of raising financial literacy during recession. I started this because I felt that uh, when August turned, um, that was the second quarter that we realized that uh, the GDP went down, meaning that, quote unquote, we'd be in a recession. And for me, I've always had financial literacy deep in my heart. I've always, it's always been something super important to me, and I've always wanted to share that knowledge. So as most of you know, I have this podcast, Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards, and I use it as a platform. And one of the ways I use that platform is to interview people. But I decided to do this segment where we were going to have four different uh, parts. So part one was myself speaking about uh, credit, debit, um, budgets, and just how you can utilize personal finance. Um, the second speaker was Stephen Purse, Stephen Purse, and what he did was he talked about real estate investing as he's got fit over fifty units and he's only twenty six years old. And then we had a financial advisor, Jack Weber, on. And he talked about stocks, bonds, ways to invest, and different um, just rules you should set for yourself if you want to be financially fit. So this final episode is with a mentor of mine who I actually met right before COVID started, uh, which is super convenient, and I'm super grateful for that. We've done a couple of different ventures together, and Howard's always been a great friend and partner. Um, Howard's done a lot of different stuff. So this is a very condensed, condensed version of what some of the stuff he's touched on, but he's received a law degree. He served in the Vietnam War. Um, he built over a hundred houses in a year. He was general counsel for, I know the Northeast people will get this Bob's discount furniture, and he's done a ton more in between. Since 2009, Mr. Gordon has provided management and business consulting advice to private clients in a variety of industries. Currently, he's semi-retired because he's juggling a lot of grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. Mm. Um, and he's lived in Tampa on the Great Davis Island for the last 27 years. And he actually had a business project that brought him to Tampa, which is building Tampa's largest medical malpractice firm, which sold in 2000. Right now, he doesn't practice law, but he enjoys being a consultant, advisor, investment consultant, and he, he's very knowledgeable. And I've the wisdom he drops is stuff I've never heard before, and I'm guessing most of you haven't either. So today, we're going to talk about what is money, what is inflation. Howard, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Thank you. 
So I yeah. won't get to I won't get to see what people look like on the way it's set up now, but I can deal with that if you if you all can. Um, if um, people want to open up, they can. But yeah. Oh, just it's friendlier if if you want to. Hi, but it's America. You don't have to do it. <laughs> exactly. Besides, I think she's the only one who got my joke, so I'm really happy. <laughs> <laughs> But what what I've had in in essence is a fifty three. I graduated law school in sixty nine, so about a fifty three year uh, business career from the time I stopped school. But I worked my way through college and law school, in uh, actually in sales. Uh, I was uh, selling furniture for our family had a furniture store, and and uh, and I was start. I started on the truck and uh, delivering furniture and getting into great shape. There weren't that many elevators back then, and refrigerators seemed to be popular. But in any event, um, uh, the Army uh, was, for me, what uh, the legal industry has as a bad thing, is they do not do internships and residencies very much at all. Medicine is so far ahead, it's unbelievable. And as most of us know, you know, learning by doing is probably the best way to learn and apprenticeships and all that. Well, I had one for four years. I was uh, my first client was the biggest business in the world, in the history of the world, the U.S. Army. And unfortunately, sadly, we were losing several hundred helicopters a month that time and a lot of their pilots. And so my job was buying helicopters. Uh, and actually advising the guys who signed the papers and in the, in the, in the government that's called contracting officer. And uh, they sent me to contracting officer school so I could be a better lawyer who helped the contracting officers. And I really enjoyed it for four years. And I was dealing with a lot of stuff. But I can tell you, even in the 50-page contracts that I had to work with, uh, the bottom line was it was either a good deal or a bad deal. And the people were either the right people for the deal or the wrong people for the deal. And, I, and nobody can shake me from that because I've seen these deals with so many zeros, you can't even count them. And uh, it just it really comes down to the basics. So then I found out as I after I got out, I had a chance to start some of my own businesses. And a good lawyer is hard to find, but a good lawyer is not the decision maker. That's that's you guys. That's entrepreneurs. And he can be a very or she can be a very strong right arm for the business decision maker. But he's not that person for a variety of reasons some funny some not so funny but uh yes always keep that in mind the lawyer is on on your staff and you're it's to make you smarter and whatever way so i did that for four years in the army i i, I really was a lawyer and learned a lot of stuff about big business and then after that though i found out my personality the dna side of me was more entrepreneur than typical lawyers. So on the other hand, I, I, I wound up doing several things after that. Uh, what they call a serial entrepreneur is probably me. And, um, and I maybe, maybe say six or seven businesses, two of which were law firms. And Jordan's right. The last business I put together was in Tampa because of a business opportunity. And as you all know, you can't determine where the breaks are going to go. Some of them help you, some of them hurt you, but life includes breaks, real life, as as a factor. So I did that and then retired in, in 20, 2000, to the year 2000 to become 
more of a, just an advisor to people who needed to really learn more about due diligence. One thing about law school is you learn how little law you know, but you learn a lot about how to find answers and how to be thorough in your research. Nothing was more important for my career than, than that. Because before we went into law school, I have red hair, I have some of it left. And uh, so I always shined as the superstar type person. Well, I used to believe that bullshit, you know, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I know everything. Well, law school cured me of that. And I was really happy it did looking back. And uh, so, so due diligence, that's the key. So finding out it's a real simple factor. I'm getting, I'm going to get into our topic in just a minute, but the bottom line is that the more research you do, the higher the odds of a better decision. And, and, And you'll see what I try to do is break things down to their simplest basic truth. That's it. You know, there are no perfect guarantee of any decision you ever make is going to work and guarantee 100 out of 100. The trick in life is to go for a high batting average, and you get a higher batting average, and your decision-making, whether it's for money, for love, or whatever is the, the stakes, if you do your research. And uh, so with all that, uh, I also had a chance to observe a lot of stuff, and I was always very interested in big words like inflation and capitalism and money and all this stuff. And so uh, it became kind of a hobby of mine to try to figure out what all this meant to me uh, right here on this earth. And uh, so if I were to ask somebody um, what would be the definition of money, for example, uh, who, who would be bold enough to try to take that on and give me a one or two sentence answer? I'll, I'll, I'll give it a, a wheel. Uh, wait, am I hearing? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess, um, I guess if you, money is just, um, it's a, oh, now that we're off, I guess the gold standard, it's just a construct in the faith of the government that will back it up and you perceive value for goods or services roughly. Well, it's a good start. It's a good start. Um, Harvard's got to go. Anybody else want to take a shot at it? I mean, you're dancing all around it, for sure. I I know some interesting words that you might find interesting. You might find interesting when I uh, answer you back. But is there anybody else who wants to just throw in something that when they think money, what do they think it really is? Exchange of value. Well, that's a money transaction. But what's the money itself? We've all heard the word currency. Yeah. yeah. All right. How about medium of exchange? Yeah. So okay. Guy, okay. And convenient medium of exchange. And, and how do you know that it's going to work? That if I offer a guy a $5 bill, he's going to give me whatever, a pack of cigarettes. How do you know that he's going to do that? You have faith that he will, and that's a tip-off to what the answer is. Yeah, I mean, you don't really, right? Well, it depends. If if it's not counterfeit money, assuming it's legitimate money, um, the faith we're talking about here is the full faith and credit of the United States government is behind that particular currency. How about that one? 
Okay, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to everybody? Yep. And that is not true, for example, of another currency, which has some wonderful aspects to it, but also some pretty risky ones called Bitcoins. What's it missing? Uncle Sam. Yeah, no one, no one backing it up. Then that's right. What they share in common, I'm not against Bitcoins. I'm just saying, trying to be objective about differences to teach you what Jordan and I want to write a book someday about what are the things, all the things they should have taught you in college and never did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, 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 that's a long list. But Jordan and I have been working on that, too, for quite a while. We have several hundred hours into that, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, every Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, we, we did. We do trying to do a big job of that. It's just that if you if you if you, if you have a better feel for the environment you're in, uh, whether it's a jungle or whether it's a church, uh, you 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 need to understand the territory. You need to know the territory. And obviously, money is a big part of the business world. And I presume all of you are in one form or another in the business world. You certainly are, and you certainly benefit from its products and services, whether you're producing them or not. But uh, that's another little interesting thing that reminds me that I didn't uh, saying I want to say right now that when we say producing goods and services, a lot of people think there's this thing in our country called you have the producers and the consumers. If you think about it, that's an impossibility. You can't be a producer, some guy who makes tires, and him not buy food to eat. Oh, that's a consumer. Which is he? He's both. And I would defy anybody to come up with an example where only one is true. <laughs> I guess, I guess you're just like, I don't know, in the prison system? I don't know. Maybe. No, no. Well, what, give me an example. Why, why do you say that? I just You're just in pr prison? I don't like, you're not really adding that, but you're getting your needs taken care of, but not really adding value, maybe? I don't know. I, don't know. Right, I think you're adding quite a bit of value to society if they don't have to worry about their daughters being uh, molested or something. Well, I, I was thinking more of just like a job. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's definitely. I'm not saying they shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. These aren't trick answers, but they're answers that are going to really get you thinking after the we're through tonight. Because they're the, some of the biggest things in our in our world that we have to deal with, and we we don't really get a good grounding in them. And part of it is nobody's fault. Is that uh, words have limitations. And one of the things I did learn in law school was that. Words have limitations, so you have to know the context in which the word is being used, even if, you, in other words, or you don't really know what he's meaning. So if you guys have seen any kind of contracts at all, and I'm sure you have, in the bigger contracts, the first couple of pages are usually definitions. And they say, for purpose of, the, of this agreement, X means this. And, and you, you have to do that because our language itself you can have 50 different meanings. I say the word love, or baseball, or sex, 15 different meanings can come to mind in, in two seconds. And so you're getting to be more precise in your thinking at the same time you're going deeper in your research are, are very strong ways to improve your batting average, which is you know your decision-making that's gonna affect career decisions, 
you know, the most most important decisions of your life. So, so that brings us back to money. So I, I think you guys kind of agree that it's uh, the, with this currency thing, meaning uh, something backed by the full faith and credit of, in this case, the United States government. Okay, so, so what else about, so that's why people will take it. But what about how much is, um, how much it's worth? Now we're, and I'm leading you on to something that says how much it's worth has a lot to do with things like our friend inflation. So let's play with me a little bit here. What is the definition of inflation? Let's have somebody who hasn't talked yet take a shot at it. Um, um, if no one wants to step up, I'll take another shot. I know we're turning everyone. Sam, you want to try? What was it? What was inflation? Is that it? Yep. Yep. Um, I guess what I would say inflation is um, the perceived value changing um, to a higher amount than it was previously. So the change in that perceived the perceived value of things, um, and that can be related to a lot of. Um, catalysts. The change in a perceived value. Well, if you looked up the word inflation in the dictionary, one of the things you see some kind of language along the lines of uh, an art of increasing something, increasing, inflating. How about a football? From squeeze, from squash to now it's a football. From squash now it's a basketball. Whatever it is, that's where we use that word quite a bit, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to lead us down a path to lead you towards how does that apply to our money? Our topics tonight are money and inflation. And and uh, and A, getting you, my goal is to get you better grounded in what is money defined in a common sense kind of way and what is inflation defined in a common sense kind of way. And right now I'm talking about how they relate to each other. Your money has less value now as products inflate. Is the product inflating or maybe the price of the product? The price of the product's inflating. Therefore, you have less purchasing power, less value mm -hmm. of what you could purchase with that same dollar. So if your rate of revenue is not increasing, you have less purchasing power based on the inflation of the economy's pricing. All right. But you're real close, in my opinion. I'm not God here. You know, I can be wrong, too. But these are just things that have all been consistently proven to me over my, my career. So let's go back to you. And so be more specific, if you can. And what is being inflated? Are you saying the price is being inflated? Well, the prices, that's part of it is, yes, the prices are being inflated. Okay, uh, what I'm going to suggest is that the, the terrible part of inflation is what's being inflated is the money supply. So now instead of an economy who has a gross national product of, say, a million dollars and has a money supply of a million dollars, now somebody may be called the federal government, says, well, we need money for another project. And even though our GNP is only a million dollars, 
kind of justifies a million dollars in money. So people don't have to buy machines. They can do whatever they need to do with money because it's so convenient. But maybe maybe that's part of it. Do you see where I'm heading? Hey, so Howard, let me, since I'm also an older guy than the other people in the room, I'm 60, I'm not quite 77. I'll bring it all the way back to women leaving the home and going to work. And now with double incomes, there was more money in the household. So therefore the prices were inflated because we had more money coming into the homes and now women have to work and it's very difficult for them to stay home with their children. Well, what do I you agree. think about that comment? Uh, I agree with part of it and I disagree with part of it. Okay. So see, I don't, I don't think how much money you make in, in order to make money. The last I heard in uh, my career is that you have to either earn it, produce some good or service. Your labor can be a service. You know, that's, that's in the, you're selling it for $10 an hour, whatever it is, or hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. How yes, about sir. you share the story we discussed with the farmers? Well, I, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to okay. that. But what I'm getting at now is I, I'll make a statement. I don't, in my opinion, you can't make uh, too much money as the fall guy for it. What you can do is, and this is what triggered the Nazi Germany, why Hitler, one of the main reasons Hitler was so successful in getting his points across and turning normal people into concentration camp guards. That whole thing there was because in Germany at the time, they suffered from a hyperinflation. And there was a phrase, I don't remember how it goes exactly, but it's something along the lines of the bushel basket of money was required to buy a loaf of bread. So what's happening is the money supply, the money itself is becoming less value. Not, and the, the worker guy, he's working his butt off, and if he or she, and they make extra money, but the pricing of stuff goes up so much because each dollar is worth less in inflation, which makes it a really vicious thing for people who played the game by the rules, worked 30, 40 years, got a retirement, and what comes with a retirement? A fixed income. So now you got a fixed income, and you're, you're $4,000 a month, each dollar is not going to buy what it used to. Okay. It's one thing. And the main reason I've seen over the years is, is exactly this, that the money supply is affected because, again, if you had a million dollars gross national product in a country and they had a million dollars in currency, so people didn't have to trade products, literally carry them on their back and they can use money instead. Right. Okay then you're better off. And then if you don't um, put a limit of a million dollars in your currency, remember your gross national product is a million dollars in my example. But now the government wants to go into national debt or whatever you want to call it. And they, they say, let's throw another $2 million in the, in the pie because we have some fancy programs that we think we should uh, have in our country. But the GMP didn't change in this example. So now you got $3 million chasing $1 million worth of products because that particular government wanted to have an extra $2 million to spend on whatever programs wanted to spend. What do you think about that as a possible logic?
Michael, are you there? I'm sorry. I, I don't hear. I didn't know if you were asking me because. Oh I yeah, was, Mike. Mike, you're the one that I was talking to. Yeah, yeah. So are there? Well, I I hear you. Um, and then so my question is, you know, is there a manufactured inflation, or the example that I gave? Someone says, well, now they have dual income, so they can afford it. So there's price gouging that comes in, which is manufactured inflation as well. Or economic situations where is there really a uh, shortage uh, economically or we're not pumping enough oil, so those prices are going up? Or is it all just pinned to the fact that everybody got checks for staying home and now we have to, you know, everybody's overcharging and, and the prices are going up to pull that money out of the economy? So I think there's multi-level layers, honestly, um, and different factors, you know, that are that are layered in and what's true inflation, what's manufactured inflation, what is global pandemic inflation. So but I think this is really something I wasn't thinking about. And I thank you for bringing all this up. You're welcome. I'm going to stay on it a little bit. Well, same same thing. So it's, it's, it's very simple. Some of my younger grandchildren, I'm talking eight to 10 years old, could easily agree that if you got a million dollar productions and you got a million dollars of chits or money or whatever you want to call them to represent those productions, so you didn't have to haul the products around all the time, you can use money instead, they would understand that. If I said to them, oh, by the way, now we're going to create $10 million of chits or money, whatever you want to call it, and but the country's GMP isn't changing any. Then I I don't I don't find that hard to understand, and and empathize with what happened in Germany, because when things go horrible, guess what? The smart uh, maniac like Hitler was uh, looks for a fall guy. He said, "And the Jews are the ones that are in charge of most of the banks. So it must be their fault." And everybody everybody bought it because they didn't really understand what was going on with inflation, which was the government was going crazy, spending money it didn't have to build an army and do all kinds of stuff to get even with World War I. They wanted to do World War II. But the point is, no production, no money. Yes, production, yes, money. How much money? That's where you can get in trouble. The money should have some bear some resemblance to the amount of productivity uh, involved in the country, the the car, the, whatever it is, you know, and uh, because in terms of your couple of your examples, the making of money per se cannot cause inflation. You have to earn it. Now, unless you well, you, you don't earn it if you steal it. If you put a, a mask on and go to the bank and with a gun and you that that is another way to get money. I agree, but other than that, I don't know any other way in a free country which has prison systems that we got plenty of them and judicial systems are third branch of government. I don't know any other way to get money uh, legitimately other than earning it. And if, you, if both of you are working, the husband and wife, more power to them. That means a lot less time they'll have to spend with kids and do stuff together. And, and, and they're more the victims rather than the cause of inflation. And that's the point I'm trying to get at. That's the main point I'm trying to get at for the, for the evening, frankly. 
So, Michael, what do you think about that? Michael gone fishing? It looks like you stepped away for a second. No, no, I, mean, that, I, that... I just muted. I'm I'm working while I'm listening. And uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I, I'm not trying to sell it. I'm trying to say what a shame you never heard this version before. I've heard it. I went to college and law school, you know, and I had a professor that was wonderful to at least bring all these stuff on the table. And uh, I asked Jordan if he ever heard anything even like it. Nope. I asked my grandchildren and I've got seven of them, I think, are already out of college. Nope. <laughs> so, again, I'm not trying to peddle it. I'm just trying to say, you know, it seems to me that such and such and uh, and and you know, money is a, is a wonderful thing. It, it it can be bastardized when people blame it for doing stuff, but it has no conscience. It's like you know, a million dollar car. If you got a you're 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 a car guy and you got a million dollar car, you're you're a pretty happy dude. On the other hand, if the million dollar car is being driven by an idiot, it's just going to crash. <laughs> so maybe the driver is more important. Than the vehicle, maybe, so you know, maybe what, the, you know, and the guy who's got in charge of a, a bunch of extra money somehow through some stupid election or whatever, maybe so, he's the bad guy because he doesn't understand anywhere near the basics we're talking about, Mike. So you know what, Howard? This is, I mean, it's very thought provoking, and um, and I appreciate you um, going back and forth with me because I. You know, I have different thoughts and I'm listening to your thoughts. But one of the things interesting, I was talking to Jordan today and you alluded to it and opened up this door for me is saying now with money, we don't need to maybe trade, you know, like, hey, you have apples and I have goats and you give me your goats and I'll give you your apples. And then the dollar or the currency now is that we have this currency backed by the U.S. and we can do this. But I have actually been um, involved heavily in bartering since I've been, you know, 20 years old and I'm 60 now. Good for you. And creating a dollar for 10 or 15 cents and getting more value to be able to go out there. And so there is this, in these type of times of inflation, there are alternative ways that you have your, as an attorney, maybe you bartered your services through some organizations where you didn't have to barter directly with a printer, but you could give maybe legal services to person A, and he can go into that association and get and 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 then you could use your dollars for printing. And so it's not money, but it's so that that exchange of value and what I can create that value. So if I can create a dollar for 15 cents on the dollar and I can teach you how to do that and uh, you're going to go and maybe get implants that are going to cost you ten thousand dollars in money. If you created that barter dollar for 20 cents on the dollar it's costing you $2,000 instead of $10,000 because you I, have- I, I, I'm, I'm tracking you. It's yeah. just that uh, what I what I think you're missing is uh, is um, that you're, you're confusing the definition of money with uh, good horse trading and being creative. 
Well, if money and, is an exchange of, uh, if you're using it to exchange for goods and services, money mm-hmm. gets me a dinner. But if I have a barter dollar, I can go out to that restaurant and that restaurant takes those barter dollars and you may use it for an exterminator. So there, so. And you but that, that, that's in fact a separate money. It's a it's separate. A it's a separate currency. That's, that's exactly correct. right. Money currency. that money that we're used to money with a guy's picture on it and it's green or whatever. That's one form of currency and it's backed by the government. And sometimes that's important. In your case, bartering not necessarily backed by the government, but on the other hand, it just is a good way to do things. I'm not against that at all. I'm trying to well, say that well, a, a money supply is different. Are, the NFTs are backed by uh, Ethereum, right? So barter is backed by the dollar. Ultimately, it is. I don't, I don't see it yet. I, I'm not that much of an expert on the Bitcoin stuff. So I, I, I'll defer to you on that. Yeah, but, uh, no, no, no. the point, the point I'm, I'm, is that I'm, I'm derailing you. I'm taking no, you off no, no, course, no, no, but no, I, no. I love the conversation. Yeah, well, it, it's it's been tried by experts, and I own, I owned a trial law firm only because I was the best lawyer in the town, you know. And you, you, you I had a, I never tried a case. Wait to hear this. I'm an entrepreneur, so I raised several million dollars. I found the right guys, put a team together. The hardest thing I've ever learned to do is put building the right team. And money guy is just one member of the team and they need the other guys to know how to do the work. Well, that I was good at. And I was money management marketing. Those three M's are my personality. Right? So no, they don't teach you that in law school or in medical school. And so that's why I was able to find a big hole in the market in Tampa, getting off topic just a little bit. I'm coming right back. Uh, and the medical malpractice thing. How did I find the hole? Because I had, a, I was in Connecticut at the time doing a business type thing, and but somebody knew I was a lawyer and referred me to a case in Florida on medical malpractice, and I said I can't even spell medical malpractice. What are you talking about? <laughs> I haven't been a lawyer in sixteen years, but on the other hand, I notice an opportunity, a, a hole in the market, which is what us entrepreneurs look for, and then we see if we can build a team to fill it, or if we should or shouldn't is where the due diligence comes in if you're smart so anyhow that's what i that, that was my quick story to get me to tampa and to say that the the, the lawyers are we're not good organizers and they're not the, the management is nothing anybody's taught in law school that i know of or uh, or medical school frankly for that matter and uh, some of it's a dna item but but the truth is money is um, a medium of exchange, whether it's NFGs or no matter what it is, it's a medium of exchange. And and if it's backed by the government, uh, as the Bitcoiners have now found out, you're better off if it's backed by the government than if it's not backed by the government. And so, and and as far as people earning money, uh, two people at a time, I think that's sad. And I think they're victims uh, and I'm sorry it took me a while to come back to the topic. No, that was interesting. I definitely enjoyed the uh, conversation as it developed. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not arguing a, a position. We're trying to just explain. The secret is communication and making sure that you uh, you understand what the other person's point is. And, and I understand your points. Um, I, I certainly do. I've been surrounded by them all my life. 
and, and most of them are, are accurate. But sometimes mislabeling something can cause a lot of and slow you down and getting to the right answer that you're and that you're looking for, or you need to protect yourself from. You know, I mean, it's nice to spend money on new programs, but there's an old saying in business that boils down to is your income match your outgo. And that's my style. Keep it simple, stupid. And I, I built Bob's from day one. I was the lawyer who started it and uh, with my family. And it was, you know, it does a billion dollars a year, 50 something, 60 stores now. You know, the principle is the same. Nothing's changed me because we did that. Uh, you know, and uh, but anyhow, that's that's I'll, I'll take a, a breath. I'm taking a breath for 20 minutes. Jordan was counting. <laughs> no, it was good. It was really informative. And I think the major part is that we realized that money is used um, as a currency exchange and it's backed by the U.S. government, which gives it the validity Um And wait a minute, let me interrupt. And you're right. And how it's used, please think of that example I gave you guys of the, uh, and ladies, of the uh, car. It can be a million-dollar sports car, but you put a bad driver in there, it's going to crash. And that's money. When I built a lot of houses and borrowed construction loans like crazy, you know, in the millions, and it worked out pretty good, uh, the bank gave me money to use as a builder, a general contractor, because they felt I was going to use it wisely. And unfortunately, that's not a requirement for most of our politicians. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one story that we spoke about uh, really explains inflation well. Um, it was the one with the farmer and kind of how the... the I think there's a little background sound, but yeah. um, well, that that, that was I was trying to I was trying to raise the stakes a little bit, Jordan. By instead of saying <laughs> ten, in, instead of saying ten oranges, and somebody else makes ten apples, somebody else makes ten automobiles, whatever the village makes. Okay, each person is trading back and forth with them, but I tried to zip it along to on a country level by saying the GNP of a billion of a million dollars. It's the same principle, whether it's one orange or GMP of a million dollars. You know, the issue is, does your money supply accurately reflect what you're actually producing or not? And if it doesn't, now we come back to my favorite part, which is the definition of that I like of the word inflation. And what I like as a definition is an artificial increase in the money supply. So now if money, if money is not tied to how much the country's really worth, what good is it? Yeah. So um, I know most people probably saw this. Yesterday, um, Biden came out with his student loans. He basically said that he's going to cancel $10,000 of student loans to anybody who's making less than $125,000. Um, and then he said $20,000 he will cancel if you had a Pell Grant. And there's more details to it, and you can look that up. But this canceling is not associated to any – it's artificial. Like, it's not – there's no value that was produced to cancel this debt out. 
Um, so in essence, people are concerned that inflation is going to go up. Do you think that would hold true, Howard? Well, I don't. I don't think they're related as much as uh, you might think. Um, really? In other words, if if a, if the country lent money to somebody legitimately for good purpose, and I'd certainly agree, lending money to students is a good purpose. Okay, and and then uh, ten years later they say, oh, by the way, you don't have to pay it back. It's legal for the country to do that, but it obviously has an impact on the value of your uh, currency because the country it's it's like uh, increasing taxes, you know, with, without uh, any reason to do so. In other words, it was government property. Then the note receivable back to the government for ten grand—that's an asset of the government, and somebody worked hard to pay taxes to create that money in the first place. So now the government's got legitimate money collected legitimately from taxpayers. And instead of being in, and I'm not against, by the way, the, the, the I'm just trying to explain what's happened. The government has uh, basically just thrown away an asset. And if 51% of Congress wants to do that and the president, that's your, your remedies at the polls. If you don't like that philosophy. So I'm not for it or against it. I'm just trying to identify what they're doing. It, it was an asset of the government, and a note receivable is a very big asset to somebody, and, and, and we all know that on this phone call. So I'm saying when you throw away an asset, uh, it's fine if it's legal for you to do it. Just recognize there, there will be consequences. Now there's less of the United States net worth to guarantee other things it may want to do. Interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, it, I, it, it, it harm, harms the country. The country's balance sheet gets screwed up when somebody starts canceling debts right and left. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not taking a political position on whether you should or shouldn't do it. I, I, I like the voting. Uh, I like democracy, and eventually, I think the voters wise up to whatever their position is, and they they get involved more than. Unfortunately, some of them can't get involved because they're working two jobs just to make it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now we're at the 45 minute mark mm -hmm. and we have 15 minutes left. So I know there's some people who haven't spoken yet and I'm not sure if they'd be open to a question or if you have a question come up, I'd be interested in hearing them, but I, I could start off. So Howard, how do, how do you think people should position themselves with this inflationary period? Like as as we know, inflation is going up. Is there anything that people can do? Well, unfortunately, the way people get paid in our country is with American currency, which is, you know, it's still the strongest in the world. So this is not a doomsday statement on my part, but, it, it, you know, it's, it's not worth as much. And, uh, and the buying power goes down. And that's if the prices uh we're not going up like gasoline is pretty easy to see the dollar going you know gasoline goes up in a price you, you know you, you cost you more money the, the the real the real victim here again is the fixed income person who uh, is now on a fixed retirement that they played by the rules and and it doesn't work as much anymore my three thousand a month my six thousand a month whatever their annual retirement now is it's it, the buying power goes way down in inflation yeah. and that that's how i think that's a vicious uh game that most people don't 
ever hear about, ever, never even think about. Absolutely. It's like, it's scary when you have your money that you're supposed to make and it's supposed to last you forever and it becomes less worth. It doesn't have as much worth. It doesn't hold as much. But if they understand it, inflation is artificially increasing the supply of money you got more money chasing the same amount of goods and obviously price is going to go up yeah so if you hold it then you can take that on yeah it's just yeah. The, gov- the government's the only one in our country that can uh, control the supply of the money the, the fed has to do with borrowing rates and other things but the real supply of money artificially increasing the supply of money Starting a discussion, an intelligent discussion, no matter what the topic is, should always start with what's, for purposes of this discussion, the definition of inflation is, boom, whatever you want to say. And the one I'm using tonight is an artificial increase in the supply of money. Yeah, I completely agree. An artificial, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I thought there was a little pause there. Um, I have another kind of question on, I guess, I guess it somewhat ties to inflation, but maybe more of an economic thing as a, as a whole. Where where do you where do you see kind of the housing market in the next eighteen to thirty six months? With I mean, inflation, pricing, potential recession, kind of that all that kind of circled into one. Well, it's, it's if you if you're a scientist and you run an experiment, or when you ran experiments in high school, and if you had any lab courses. What, what's the, the most important thing is to control the number of variables, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you, all right. Well, in this case, unfortunately, and things are so complex, we have dozens of variables that can affect real estate uh, prices, whether it's single family, multifamily, or whatever. And not, not the least of which was the COVID impact, COVID impact of now people want to be home. They don't want to die. They don't want to go out and shopping if they, if they forget their mask, they're going to die. So guess what happened? I have a, one one of my friends, very good friends, wanted to have an indoor pool redone. She already had a pool. A very wealthy lady. She already had a pool. She wanted the indoor pool to be redone. It was 12 months before she could get a contractor to agree to sign his name that he would come and do her pool, even though she offered him extra money, cash deal, no financing, forget it. So what I'm saying is that's just one variable. COVID variable is a lot of impact on things that involve homes. Obviously, homes are maybe the biggest part of our real estate. So that's just one. We could sit here all night and talk about some more variables. The inflation factor is obviously a variable, you know, and uh, it's just, these are, Topics that unfortunately people are working a job or two jobs and they don't have time to read the fine print. They can just read the headlines, and most of those are very shallow and understanding what's really going on. Yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, there's really, I guess, only like the cliche only time will tell, right? I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, that's true, but I want to tell you why I'm an optimist. Uh, at first, I have a lot of grandchildren, so I really hope I'm right in being an optimist. I want, I want there to be a world for them. But if you look at the American spirit going way back to the time they dumped England, you know, uh, and fought the War of Independence, we've really had that. Now, granted, um, this is a discussion aside from racial history, all right? But what they did do right was uh, build an economy because they let the 
the uh, the entrepreneurship, the freedom of starting your own business happen. You couldn't do that in Europe. You know, if you had born into the right family name, no problem. But if you weren't, you know, and God forbid you ever uh, went under and your business failed, you went to jail, the debtor's prison. So to get an entrepreneurial economy going, they were smart, these guys, the Thomas Jeffersons and all that one, when they created things like the bankruptcy code, where they said, if the guy who goes, the woman goes bankrupt, played by the rules, no fraud, no violence, all right, then uh, mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to let them have a second chance. And why? Because they they know that you, if you unleash the power of people having their own deal, that they're going to work harder. It's a practical matter. It's just ABC type of logic, in my opinion. And that's that's the principle. And then, so what happened was it worked so good that they had some extra money. The farmer who now made enough money in his crops where he, he was uh, feeding his family, he had money for clothing and food and a little extra. Oh, he had a little extra. Well, if he didn't like earning 1% in the bank or whatever he was making then, what was his next job? His next job was to find somebody else, that, a younger person or whatever person that he could back with his money and not with his time. So those people that were successful in the use of their time were able to put back some extra money and then they could use that extra money to finance some young guy, like a Jordan who wants to put a new business together. And that's what capitalism breaks down to. Somebody's made a lot of money and then now they want to use their money to make more money. Not a crime. However, it's very difficult. The due diligence requirements are unbelievable when you now have somebody else using your money to try to make you some more money. But that is what capitalism is all about, put very simply. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jack, have you ever heard anything like that? I haven't I haven't heard the um I mean I guess I've heard it, but I haven't really heard it in that kind of context with the farmer as starting like all the way back. Like obviously, like anytime your money's making, anytime you invest money in something, you went through due diligence. But the whole like going to jail and bankruptcy and um, and starting back all the way back with the farmers. I mean, it makes sense. Just never really thought about it that way. Yeah, and and that's why it's not an accident, in my opinion, that in just a couple hundred years, you know, we we we're like ten times, fifty times more advanced in all kinds of ways. And we ain't perfect. And on the racial thing, I'm not getting into that in any detail. But even on the racial thing, although it took too long, the, the progress that's made here today for a woman compared to a woman in Saudi Arabia or some of these other places is still fantastic. So yeah. I, I, I'm not, America at its worst is bad, but its worst is a lot better than a lot of other people's worst. Gotcha. Agreed. Agreed. So, Absolutely. So, the, so the topic was money and, and inflation. I'm summing up that inflation is an artificial increase of the money supply. You can do it by just printing money or uh, borrowing money from somebody else that you shouldn't be able to borrow because you don't have any collateral. You don't have any anything to stand behind it. And if you make a, a, a million a year in your gross national product to borrow a million, it makes sense or can make some kind of sense. But if you borrow five or 10 million, 
then you're getting in big trouble. And the lender usually has an ulterior motive. Well, I guess who's our biggest uh, uh, holder of treasury bills and, and national debt? Oh, I think it's called China. But what can I tell you? They're not stupid. Yeah, so I guess I guess again, real quick, another question: How do you how do you how do you reverse the inflation, or is it just something time? No, you reverse it by. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'm a big fan of education, but not formal education. I'm more the apprenticeship type method, and getting out there and learning by doing. And, uh, and the results of what you're complaining about, I think, are due to the fact that most of the professors have never, never mind, never started a business never been successful in you know seeing what it takes to actually put a business together and go through all the ups and downs that's that's foreign to them so they they teach whatever theories they're teaching and i'm speaking after talking to six or seven grandchildren who are already finished college and uh, i know i know what they learn and what they don't learn and uh, i'm a big fan of education but i'm not a fan of formal education in general there are many exceptions of course gotcha gotcha yeah. Absolutely. Jack, appreciate the question. I know there's five minutes left. Colleen or Lisa, do you guys have any questions? I just want to make sure everyone can share if they have something. I had something, Jordy. Samuel. Uh, so, understanding if the government gives out money wasn't earned and that could be a, a factor to inflation. Now, what if someone who earned that money, like let's say Elon Musk, wants to give out money, will it give that same effect, even if that money came from an act of, of earning it, um, would, would it still involve inflation? I guess that's where my mind's at, if it has to be. And it's a good question. It's certainly relevant today. Elon's all over the news. I don't know him, but I'd like to. But the, but the, the, the point is, a private enterprise without government involvement cannot cause inflation, as I understand the concept. <laughs> In other words, Elon has got all this money and net worth, but there's not a bunch of dollars are sitting there. He's earned it. He's built factories and got thousands of tens of thousands of jobs and stuff. And, you know, I just uh, I'm not saying I'm proud of him because I don't know him. I can't be proud of him, but I am proud of what he's done. And one of his friendly enemies, Bill Gates, says the same thing. You know, that he's he's a magic guy. He's amazing how, how smart he is. And he's got lucky, too. I saw some documentary on them on they had three chances from the government to put something up in orbit and the first two didn't work. And he just lucky the third one worked. So breaks are always part of it too, but that's why I hate to see money uh, not understood because it is hard to come by again, unless you want to put a mask on and go to the bank. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Colleen, do you have a question at all? Sam, great question. I do not, but I do very much appreciate all the insights. Honestly, a different perspective. I've never spent a lot of time thinking about with some of the backstory and history and stuff like that. So I've definitely learned. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Howard. Well, my pleasure. Awesome. If that's everyone, we should be good. Yeah, so I want to... Howard, do you have any final thoughts? And then I'll close this out. No, I appreciate the opportunity to share some of what I've seen out in the trenches. <laughs> yeah, this has been fascinating. And this is the final episode of 
um, raising financial literacy through a recession. And we learned about money. We learned about inflation. And if you have any questions, we can you can rewatch this episode. And I really appreciate everyone taking the time and really dedicating themselves to to continued learning. I think it's super important. And um, Howard brought it up that we don't always have to have formal education to be learning. Uh, learning is something we can do with every conversation we have. And we realize that then we'll go into more things, more informed and uh, be eager to learn. And um, you can learn from everyone. So I appreciate you guys for hopping on. This has been incredible. And I want to thank you, Howard, for hopping on and taking your time. My thank pleasure. You. My pleasure. Great. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.